open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Hosea. <coughs> we'll begin reading in verse 4. We're in chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 1. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beast of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. God, we thank you for your love and your kindness, your mercy toward us, Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we just humble ourselves before you. Thank you for your presence, my God, that is in this place. We thank you because as you are here, God, we know that you are searching our hearts. We know that you want to do a deep work in us. And so I pray that in these next few moments, as I share your word with your people, God, Father, that our hearts together would be changed, dear Lord. Father, we want you to be glorified in everything in our lives, my God. Help us to be doers of your word. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. We ask you this in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you need an outline, would you please raise your hand and the ushers will get you an outline. Whether or not you're in a connect group, I think that it's important for you to have these, but we do use them in connect. And so for our discussions that we have in our connect, then um, you'll be able to follow along during the preaching. So if you don't have one, raise your hand. It's very important to us that you do get into a connect group. For those of you that don't know what connect is, connect is our small group ministry. And what we are doing is we, we started developing this a few years ago because we realized that the Bible is very clear that God did not just redeem us to himself, but he redeemed us to one another. Um, I love my brother Milton. He continues to quote Brad House who says sanctification is a community thing. It's not something that you do by yourself. It's not something you're not going, listen, you and I will never be as holy as we could be by ourselves as we would when we get around other folks. Amen? I'm just saying, you know, if you thought you were holy till you got married. Glory to God. Uh, you realize when you got married, you wasn't that holy. I'm just saying because you connected with someone and you realized that you had issues. Amen? I didn't say you realized they had issues. I said you realized you had issues, glory to God. One of them may be that you are very critical and judgmental. Amen, somebody. But the point of the matter is God doesn't just call us, you know, into a, a marriage relationship to have community there. When you look at the book of Genesis, God makes it pretty clear. He didn't say, well, you know, it is not good for Adam to be, you know, alone. So I'm going to bring him a helper so they can just hook up and have a good time together. But what did he tell him? He said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. In other words, I want you to be around more than just each other. Somebody say amen. amen. 
And so it's important for us to get into Connect. So if you're not in a Connect group, we encourage you to um, do that. You can see Pastor Chad. He will help you and direct you into the best Connect group for you. Um, so today we're going to be continuing on in this series. What I've entitled it is, is a love story because that is what the book of Hosea does for us. It, sh- it shows us this love story between God and his covenant people. Um, if you look in your outline, you can follow along with me. It is a depiction of the faithfulness of God's love toward us even when we are ill-deserving of his love. And so last week we dealt with what that meant. And I gave you the example or the analogy of a child that you tell to take out the garbage. And when you tell that child to take out the garbage, they go and they say, no, they're not going to take out the garbage. And they don't do it. And you still do something good for them, like take them to a theme park or whatever the case is. That would be an undeserving child. An ill-deserving child would be one whom you tell to take out the garbage and they grab the garbage and dump it all over your floor, all over your house and tell you, I will never take out the garbage. I'll never do what you say. And then you take them. That is an ill-deserving child. Amen. That's a child that deserves a beating, not a ride. Amen. I'm just saying, just want to make that clear. That's just an analogy that God is merciful. Amen. Can you guys turn on that light in the back, please? It's a little bit dark back there. Gentlemen, thank you. Hallelujah. And so it's important for us that we look at this story as what it is. It gives us a great Old Testament gospel picture. It helps us to see God's love in action, and we see it in this marriage relationship. As we looked at last week in in, in chapters 1 through 3, God is dealing directly and specifically with this person by the name of Hosea, who is the prophet, and his wife, Gomer. He tells him, go and marry a wife that is going to be unfaithful to you. And then uh, later on, she is unfaithful to him after she, you know, bears him three kids. So that means they've been together for a while. Amen. I'm just saying they had three kids. That's nine months apiece. So she was there with him, you know, for at least, you know, two and a half, three years. Right. And well, probably about three years plus, And then that's when she was unfaithful to him. And so we realize that God does this to paint a picture to his people, Israel. And so looking down at your outline, there's a little typo here. So you can fix this. Hosea's name, meaning it should be Hosea's name means salvation. The reason why this is important for us to know is because this is a great picture of the gospel and how God saves us, how salvation works. Salvation is not something that we gain because we are good. It is something that we get because God is good. It is something that we are able to experience because of the goodness and because of the love of God. And we'll deal with that a little bit later on. So his name means salvation. He was called to be a living replica of what the marriage relationship between God and his people was by marrying a woman named Gomer who would be unfaithful. And then Hosea, by God's command, would go and love her again. Now this is extremely important for us. That we understand the depth of God's love toward us. Look what happens. He doesn't buy us back and remind us daily or weekly or monthly or ever for that matter of our sins. But he cleanses us and gives us a right standing before himself. We serve him out of gratefulness, not out of guilt. When God, when, when God speaks to Hosea and says, Hosea, I want you to take this woman back and love her again, what he is saying to him, he is saying, I don't want you to take her back and abuse her verbally. I don't want you to take her back and remind her every day of how dirty and nasty she is. That's what he's saying. He says, I want you to take her back and love her again. I want you to buy her back, purchase her like she is something of value. Hello, somebody. Buy her back and let her know what love really is. And the reason for this is because every one of my children is grimy like she is. 
Every one of my children is dirty and filthy like she is. Every one of them commits harlotry. Every one of them is an adulterer. Every one of them worships false gods. Every one of them runs after things that they shouldn't. And I love them with a passion and a devotion that will change their hearts. When you read the end of chapter 3, you see that God, when, 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 when um, Gomer is being spoken to by Hosea, talks about a time that they are going to be separated from everything because what God wants to do is he wants to love on her. He wants to fill. He, he, wants, go, he wants Hosea to love her, and he wants her to have time to change. And it's the same thing that God does with us. When he saves us, he delivers us, and he wants us to be with him so he can show us how much he loves us. Last week's message, I never gave you the title of last week's message, but um, it was dealing with why bother was the question for last week's message. Why would God bother with unholy people? Why would God bother with us knowing that we're going to be grimy? Why would he bother with us knowing that we're going to sin against him? Why would he bother? So that was last week's message. This week, my question is this, why not repent? Why not repent? And as we sing these songs, you know, we sing them because they're from the depth of our heart. We feel inspired to sing them. And we talk about God, we want more of you, right? Amen? And I would assume that most of you were singing. I, you know, I wasn't looking around, like taking account to say, well, she was singing, he was singing, they weren't. I, I wasn't doing all that. But I'm assuming most of you were engaging in the worship. If you weren't, I hope that you, hope that you would consider engaging in worship because it is an awesome time for us to really get in to the presence of God. But here's the thing. As we cry out to God for more of him, it is very important that we realize that when we say, God, I want more of you, you know what he says? Yeah, and I want more of you. You want more of me? I've I, I got plenty to give. The question is, how much are you willing to die? See, we were in, in, in prayer this morning as we were praying. There's something that is in my heart. The old um, revivalists, they used to pray this, and I've adopted it as part of my prayer time. And they, and they prayed this prayer. They said, God, give us revival or give us death. In other words, they didn't want to keep living their life the way that they were. They wanted to die if they couldn't have revival. And one thing that is factual, you can never have revival if you don't have death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so when we say, God, we want more, the question is, where is it that I need to die? Where is it that I need to repent? Where is it that I need to do that? See, because what we have to realize, church, repentance is not an ugly word. Repentance is, a, is, is one of God's greatest gifts to us. And we should respond to its call and rejoice in its hope. See, what, I, what we're going to read today is going to be stuff that is going to sound hopeless, what we're going to read in these next few weeks are going to be things that you say, man, this is depressing. Like if you just read these chapters, you know, it'd be easy to go and take a gun and just be like, it's over. Because it doesn't look like there is hope when you look at the things that God is saying. Accept little pictures, and we'll look at those pictures together. But what God does is he calls us, his people, to repentance. Everybody, listen to what I'm going to say, church. No one is exempt from repentance because no one is exempt from sin. The book of 1 John makes it very clear. He who says he has not sinned makes God a liar. Are you hearing me? So if you're in this place, you say, I have no sin, I have no need to repent, you're making God a liar. And I want you to know God is not the liar, you are. Amen. Hallelujah. So the first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the prophecies against our sin should provoke repentance in us. 
The prophecies against our sin should provoke repentance in us. And so we look at verses 1 through 3 again. Let's look at what he says here. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. And we're going to actually cover like from chapter 4 to chapter 7, but we won't go through every single verse. We will go through chapter 4 in its depth, though. He says this, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. And so God is now, after he's given, he's painted this picture with Hosea, now the prophet receives the word of the Lord that he is going to communicate, which he is going to bring charges. In other words, it's the same way in a criminal case, you know, someone has charges that are brought against them because they are now guilty, and this is what is going to happen. He says this, he says, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the Lamb by swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery. They break all restraint. With bloodshed upon bloodshed, therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. And so what is God saying here? He is saying there is an absence of the fear of God. There is an absence of the knowledge of God. There is an absence of restraint. And so people are living the way that they want to live. I want you to think about this for a moment, because if you read this and then you sit back and look at our days just turn on the news and this sounds like something on the 11 o'clock news because you go from one story of a shooting in a school to another story of someone who was who, who was who was almost kidnapped to another story of someone who was abused I didn't I was gonna I was gonna sit down and actually write this stuff down and I was like man forget that junk I don't like watching the news anyway but the point is I sat down by accident one day and I just happened to be there and it was like one thing after another after another after another and the whole point is that it is a clear revelation of the lack of the fear of God that there is in our days. That is what is all over the news. And so, uh, and so Hosea, all he's doing, he's giving a prophetic news break. Hello. That's what he's doing. And he's not just giving a news break for his day. He's looking forward to our day and say, this is what y'all are going to look like. You hear about all of these things. You hear about pastors committing suicide. One of the most devastating things that I heard the other day, a pastor committing suicide. And, you know, he, he fell into sin a year ago. And, and, and you, you, you see this, the devastation that is there. What do you think that enemy wants to do? He wants to bring destruction to lives. He wants to bring destruction to families. He wants to do. And so you see all of these things that are going on. And so the question is, how do we respond to this stuff? Well, the thing is, we should respond with repentance. Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures. We're not going to turn there, but I want you to know this. This is very important for you, that you understand that this is not confined to the Old Testament, that there are New Testament warnings against our sin. And I'm going to just give you the scriptures. You can write them down. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, one of my favorite scriptures is where Jesus says, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. Many will come to me in that day and say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do great works in your name? And I will tell them, part from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. And so what he is saying here is the news flash for us or the warning against our pro the, the prophecy against us is to make sure that you're not living in two waters make sure that you're not trying to live your own life and do your own thing and still come to church and do God's thing it's either one or the other because you can play that game now but the reality is when you stand before him there are no more games to play there's no ticket to, to check in it is the reality of were you living for Jesus while you were on this earth and so are you living in sin are you practicing lawlessness 
Because if you are, listen, this is the beauty of it. You should fear and you should tremble, but you should also rejoice in the hope that God has given you an opportunity today to repent of your sin. He's calling you today to turn from your ways. He's not letting you live the way you want to live without a voice to communicate to you that you need to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the church and he's talking in that chapter about them suing one another. And then he goes on through this list of things. He says, do you not know that people that are like this, and he talks about homosexuals, he talks about adultery, he talks about liars, he talks about all of these different types of people that are in there, all different, different types of sin. Not one sin. He goes through a list of sins, a list of things, and he said, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are New Testament prophecies against our sin. You go further on into the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and verse to, to, to verse 21, and you see again the Apostle Paul is communicating the, almost the same thing that he says prior to this. This time he talks about drunkenness, idolatries, all of these different things. He says these things are the works of the flesh. And he says, as I've told you before, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hear what I am saying. If you are not inheriting the kingdom of God, you are inheriting hell. You are starting. Listen, I put it like this. Let, let, let me use Bible language. If you are not inheriting the kingdom of God, you are storing up the wrath of God against your life. That's the way the Bible puts it. And so it's important for us to realize, well, what should happen when we see these prophecies? And then you go to the last place that I'll give you. There's other scriptures throughout the New Testament. I chose these few because I really think they drive the point home. The book of Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 8, I think that's good, right? The end of the book, the first book in the New Testament, the last book in the New Testament. So we got it all sandwiched in there. And in that, you know, he starts off, I love this, because he says, you know, people who are cowards... He says the cowardly. I look up that word and I'm like, man, why is he saying? He's saying cowards are going to hell. You understand? I, I don't know if you get that. And he's not just talking about people that are just afraid. He's talking about people who are cowards when it comes to the name of their Lord. He's talking about, I mean, that's the only kind of coward because he's not going to send just cowards to hell. But you know what the reality is? People who are cowards will never turn to Jesus. But he goes through this list again. He talks about liars, idolaters. He gives this list. And so the same way that God gives this list of things that are going on, that they are swearing and they are lying and they are killing and they are stealing and committing adultery, notice the Ten Commandments that are being broken within all of this stuff. He says they break all restraint. The Bible says that where there is no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraint in the book of Proverbs. And what cast off restraint literally means is that they unbuckle their seatbelts and they they just go for it. That's the picture that we have. They do. They, they totally take off all restraint. Anything that was holding them back, they take it off themselves. And then he says, there is bloodshed upon bloodshed. And what he's saying is that one dirty act is connected to another dirty act. And you continue to go from one thing to the next thing. And it's over and over. And that's the reason why I give the example of the news. Because you go from one place where there's this disaster going on. Another place where there's another thing that is, you just, you just can't even fathom how this person could do that. And what it is, is it over. Over and over and over again. And we are so arrogant. Here's the problem. Is that we are so arrogant to think somehow that we are not worthy of the same wrath that these people were. Somehow we think, oh no, you know, we're all good. You know, we're, we're, we live in the land of the free. Listen to me. I don't care where you live. 
There is a law that we all must give an account to. And if we don't bow to Jesus and let the laws of God govern our hearts, we are on the wrong side of the fence. When we understand that the consequences of our sin affect more than just us personally, it should cause us to humble ourselves before God's word as a mirror that reflects who we are and to his spirit that reveals what is in us and fully repent of our sin. And now listen to me. I want to qualify this because I'm going to say this. There are some people in here, you do not know Jesus. And when I'm calling you to repent of your sin, it is about a total lifestyle change. It is about turning from the way you are living to the way God wants you to live period. But then there are other people in here that you know what, you've been walking with Jesus but you still have issues in your life and you need to let God remove those things but it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. So my question is, which one are you? Are you the one who is walking with Jesus and you have issues and you still need to repent and work on some things? Or are you the person that is not walking with Jesus? Even if you think you are, but you know that you are not, you're not walking with him. Are you that one that needs to repent of sin today? Because what he does is he gives this amazing offer to all of us to turn from our sin. And what I said and what you'll notice here is we keep reading that our sin never just affects you and I. Hello. It's not just me that it's affecting. It's affecting everyone that I'm in contact with. Because that thing is, that's why the Bible talks about a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump. That's why the Bible says that. So it's saying, look, you think, oh man, I'm, it's only me. I'm not affecting anyone. Not true. That's the reason why the Bible says that if someone calls himself a brother and they're living a lifestyle of sin, don't even eat with them. I know you don't want to hear that because you want to be nice to everybody. Hello. Christians are supposed to be nice. You're right. We're supposed to be nice, but we're all supposed to be honest. And I can have lunch with you, but I need to let you know, listen, you're not a Christian. I'm not having, you. I'm not having lunch with you. Hello. Because you're a Christian. I'm having lunch with you because I love you. See, we can't just call, see, you know, because we grow up, you know, yo, that's my brother. Everybody, everybody ain't your brother, hello? Everybody ain't your sister, I'm just saying. Not everybody is part of the covenant with Jesus because they have not made themselves. And so it may be, I'm just letting you know, amen, glory to God. We'll move on. I'm, I'm just, just, I'm just, this is what the scriptures teach us. Because this is, you, you know, we, I, I think we, we joke around, like, when it comes with, to God's stuff. But we're saying it, he is holy. That word holy, listen, that is an amazing word. It should strike reverence in your heart. Listen, God is different than anything you and I have ever experienced. He is really holy. That's what holy means. It means that he's different. I mean, he, I've explained this before. God, listen, for us, we get away from sin. Sin is not present in God. Sin is absent from who he is. There is no sin. There is no shadow of turning. There is no evil, no wickedness. There is no mouth off. There is nothing unrighteous in our God. He is holy. He is pure. And that is the reason why sin cannot dwell with him. And that is the reason why he sent his son to die, to liberate us from the wrath that we incur because we are unholy. And so what we have to do is we have to embrace, okay, what does God say about our sin? What does God say about our sin? What, and, and, and why does he say this? It is not because he is just some, you know, on, on his old holy kick. It is because he is a holy God. He is a pure God, and he wants us to understand his standards. Not the standards of the world, 
Not the standards of the church people, not the standards of your best friend, not, no, the standards that he has. Because his standards, listen, you and I are going to be judged not based on our standards, not based on your friend's standards, not based on the person you're better than. We are going to be judged based on holy standards. Every one of us will be judged based on that. And so he gives us his list and he lets us know there are some things that are unrighteous, some things that are unholy. Say this with me. Corruption in the world calls for constant repentance in the church. Now look what it says. First of all, it starts off and it tells you all of these things that are going on. It says there's no, you know, there's no knowledge of God. People are casting off restraint. But then look at the next verse, which sounds weird. It says, now, let no man contend or rebuke another. In other words, don't correct anyone. He said, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore, you shall stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Remember what I said? That it does, our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects others. The most important, and, and I don't care what anyone says, the most important people in our lives are our children. Hello. If we have children, we want to make sure that they're, that they're taken care of. He says in verse 7, he says, the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will, char- I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity, and it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. And so the first thing is, corruption in the world calls for constant repentance in the church. See, here's what we have. What we have here is, he says this, he says, don't don't, don't contend with anyone. He said, because these people, they're the type that argue with the priest. Now let me explain this to you in context. In those days, the priests were the ones that you brought any of your issues to. Whenever you had an issue of judgment, you didn't go to a courthouse, you went to the priest. And what the priest did was one of two things. If it was written down in the law that Moses had declared, then he would declare to you what the law of Moses said for that particular situation. And if it was a situation that wasn't written down in the law, then he used this thing called the human, the thumen, and you know, whatever. And so what they did was they figured out what the will of God was in that situation. Here's the point. The priest, they were the preachers of their day. They were the ones who were called to uphold the law, to establish the law, and to teach the law. And what the, and what the, what the writer here is saying is that these people, they're the ones, they argue with the pastors all the time. Hello. I'm telling you, I'm bringing it in, into, into today's context. That, that's what he's saying. They're the ones that the pastors never write. The pa- oh, that, 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 that's old school thinking. That doesn't apply to today in our context. This is what he's saying. He's saying, don't argue with these people. He said, because that is the way that they are. Now, why is that? Why why does that even matter? Because if they're arguing and they're disagreeing, then you're going to come to them and they're going to be like, oh, man, you just think like they think. And God says, you know what? They're rejecting me, so I am going to deal with them. I am going to address their sin issues. Here's the thing. The fact is this, is that just like in our days, Israel rejected the priest teaching. There are people in our days who have these itching ears, and they reject sound teaching of the Bible. They don't want to hear what the scriptures say. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear someone who makes them smile, who makes them feel good. Listen, I promise you, you don't feel good right now. 
I promise you, I don't feel good for you. I feel bad. I feel bad when I'm reading this myself. I'm like, God, do I have to preach this? Hello. Because it doesn't, it's not like I was like, yes, I'm going to encourage them, glory to God. They're going to feel amazing when they leave here today. You may, but here's the thing. I hope you don't feel like that right now. You know why? Because you should feel the weight of God's holiness. You should feel the weight of our sin. You should feel that weight on you. And if you just walk around always feeling good, there is a problem. What I mean by that, I'm not talking about feeling good in life. I'm talking about you come to church and you never feel the weight of sin. You never feel the fear of the Lord. You never feel that call to repent. There is a problem because we cannot preach the truth of the Bible without confronting sinful man. That's the bottom line. And when he's speaking here, the reason why it is so important for us to repent is this, is because if we are not constantly searching the scriptures and being searched by the Holy Spirit and confronted by the truth that is calling us to repentance, we will slowly give in to compromise. We will reject the truth of scripture as the highest authority and we will become corrupt from the leadership down. What did he say? He said, don't argue with them. He said, these people are the type that argue with the priests. But then he goes on and said that they are going to do what? That the prophets are going to stumble with them. How is that possible? He's saying that the people who should be hearing from God, they're going to start falling into the same stupidity that other people that are not the prophets. They're going to start falling into that same stuff. Why? Because they get bound in that mindset. They get bound in chasing after things that do not bring glory and honor to Jesus. And you want to know why that happens? Because you are not in the scriptures. Because you are not in the word of God. Because you are listening to pop psychology. Because you're listening to Oprah and Dr. Phil and all of these other people. Dr. Oz and everybody who's got all the right answers for everything. But they lack the answers for life. They lack the answers for truth. But they sound good, and everyone is listening to them. Everybody's TiVoing them. Everybody's going to their thing. Everybody's going there. So you want to hear from them. That does not make it right. As a matter of fact, there are some moments that we need to really reflect on God's word and repent and say, no, I can't give in to that stuff because that is a lie. And sometimes that is the most unpopular thing to do because everyone else around you is doing what? They're doing their thing. They're having a good time. They're enjoying all of these other things. And man, is it wrong for a Christian to have fun? Absolutely not, glory to God. I think that one of the most amazing things to be is a Christian. But there's a difference between having clean fun and just regular fun. Hello. There is fun that brings glory to God because you glorify him in that. When you're with your family, I read somebody's blog, and they had, you know, it was, it was not a blog, but it was a little post on Facebook, and it said something like, you know, Saturday night plus board games, plus Christian movie, plus something, plus family equals an amazing time. Did you see that? See, those things, those are fun. You, you, you enjoy yourself. You have a great time. You don't have to go out there and be living in sin to have fun. Hello? You don't have to be out there to have fun. There's a problem in your heart if that's the only way you can have fun. There's an issue inside of your heart. And so he goes to tell these people, he says, not, 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 let not a man contend or rebuke another. For your, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore, you shall stumble in the day. So you're going to stumble. And the prophet also will stumble with you at night. And I will destroy your mother, dealing with their homeland and who they are. And he says, my people are destroyed. Say destroyed. For a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed. <clears throat> for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Notice again, who rejects who? God rejects or they reject? 
<clears throat> they reject. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priests. Because you have forgotten the law of God, I also will forget your children. And listen to what I want you to understand. When God is saying that he's going to forget your children, it's not that he's just going to be like, you know what, I'm not even dealing with your kids. And I'm not. That isn't what he is saying here. What he is saying here, when you go to the Ten Commandments, you'll notice, thank you very much, you'll notice in the Ten Commandments that, they, that, that God talks about visiting up to the fourth generation sin. And it seems like God is saying, he said, I'm going to punish up to the fourth generation. And it seems like God is contradicting himself in the New Testament. Because remember, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, why is this person sick? And they said, you know, because of sin. That's what he's saying. Because the belief was that people experienced things like sickness when they were born because it was a consequence of sin. But Jesus makes it clear. He says, no, man, it's not because of that. It's for God to be glorified. But he's making a point. And he's saying, wait a second. But over here in the, in, in the Ten Commandments, it said that they would be punished but this is what happens it is not that God decides that I am going to punish you when I as a parent live rebellious towards God what I do is I teach my children to be rebellious towards God and because I teach them rebellion against God they are punished and the reality is he goes on to say that he will show mercy to thousands who respond in what in obedience to him and so what he's saying is, if any of those generations decide they're going to turn from their sin I'm not going to keep punishing them it is the same thing here when we forget the laws of God our children will not know the laws of God. Our children will disobey God. And then God is going to do what? He has to do the same thing he did for you. He has to forget you, even though he's going to call you to repentance. Even though he's going to call you with his love, he's still, there's consequences for our sin. That's the reason why it is so important for us parents to make sure that we are not living in rebellion against God. That we are studying our Bibles. That we are seeing what the scripture is saying. That we are not giving in to the cultural standards, but that we are embracing biblical standards. He goes on to say this. Look at verse 7. This is, this, this, this is a picture of God's mercy. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. Well, this is not the mercy part yet. We're going to get there. I want you to see this because this is ridiculous. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I would change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. Now, pause for a moment. When he's talking about they eat up the sin of my people, he is talking about the priest. The priest used to eat something called the sin offering. That was their food. That was what, you know, they were maintained by. And so what he's saying, he's talking about the priest. He said they eat up the sin of my people. Look what he says. They set their heart upon their iniquity, and it shall be like people, like priests, so I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. Notice what is happening here. He said that the priests of that day set their heart upon their sin. Why? Because they were getting fat off of the sin of the people. Because as the people were living in sin, guess what they were doing? Bringing more offerings for sin. Because in their mind, they were like, hey, I just bring an offering for sin, and it's going to be all good. We'll sacrifice more. And so these priests, they decided, we're not going to try to convince these people to live righteously. We're going to go ahead, and we're going to fill up our area. We're going to get everything we can get out of these people. That's horrible. But it's the same thing today, church. What do you think the prosperity gospel does? It just pimps people that are living in sin. That's all it is. It pimps people who are not reading their Bible. Listen, it pimps. Man, you, you can sow into this thing and you can buy someone's salvation. Oh, you ain't been in that service? 
You haven't been there when they told you, oh, you know, I know there's people in here, they're praying for someone's salvation. You need to sow a seed of $150. What on earth does a seed of $150 have to do with them being saved? I thought Jesus paid it all. Hello. I'm saying, is their salvation based on me? No. Their salvation is not based on me. But you know what? People are gullible because they're not reading their Bible. They want to have a false hope. They want, oh, you know, you're, oh, I love this one. You know what? I, I, I feel, I feel, I feel some, some debt cancellation up in here, glory to God. You got to sow a seed of $100. You look, everybody up in this. So y'all get, oh, I got all this debt. All I got to do is sow $100. I'll get out of $18,000 of debt. The devil is a liar. Hello. But you believe it, right? Because you're like, well, you know, I'm just saying I, I, can, I can sow the $100 and see if it works. Wait a second. Why would you do something like that? And, glory to God. But that's what they do today, church. You have people, I, I don't know, man, I heard, I, this is so horrible. I heard a story of a church. They had a preacher come up in there, and it was like, you know, how, how, they, how, they, how those, those people get up there, and they just talk real fast. They're trying to sell stuff, and, you know, that, 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 that's what it was like. It was crazy up in there. It was like an auction. Hello. I'm just saying there's some people that are in here that were in that service. But anyway. <laughs> I just realized that, but here's the point. The point, the point is, all right, that is not God. God, is, God does not want to pimp people. That's the enemy that wants to do that. But listen, if we are not searching our Bibles, we will be pimped. If we are not searching the scriptures, we will be deceived. Let's see his mercy. He said in verse 10, he says, For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. And so look what he says. He says, they have these plans. They're going to pimp everyone. They're going to get rich off of this. You know what? They're going to eat. They're not going to be satisfied. They're going to, do, they're, they're going to commit harlotry a way that they should be fruitful and have an all, and they're not going to have any offspring. They're not going to be fruitful. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to repent. He doesn't let us get fat. He doesn't let us find the satisfaction that we're looking for because he loves us. He could be nasty and he could be like, you know what? I'm going to let you get all the satisfaction you want and leave us to ourselves. And listen, there are some people that are at that place, but here it is, church. What he does for the most part is he, he, he calls us back to himself by not letting us have that type of satisfaction. The third thing, say this with me, demonic deception can keep us bound in idolatry, unwilling to repent. Demonic deception can keep us bound in idolatry, unwilling to repent. Look at verses 11 through 13. It says, harlotry, wine, new wine, enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. You should underline that. You should highlight that. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. There's not very many times. Listen, there's about 14 times that your Bible is going to talk about a spirit of something. Now, for those of us that come from a Pentecostal background, you know that everything was a demon. 
All right? So you're rebuking the spirit of darkness. You're rebuking the spirit of this. Just change the light bulb. I'm just saying. But, 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 but here's the thing. Okay? So everything is a demon. And I make light of it, but the reality is there are people that feel that way. It's like, you know, anyway, the point is, all right, that everybody's got the spirit. But here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches of things that are definitely spirit. Like it talks about spirit of deafness and dumbness. It talks about that spirit of death. It talks about this particular spirit of harlotry. It talks about a spirit of haughtiness. It talks about those are spirits. Those are demons that are really real and that we really contend with. Hello. Not everything is a spirit, but notice what he's saying here. He says, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, and terebinths. Because their shade is good, therefore, therefore your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit adultery. And look at chapter 5 and verse 4. I just want to show you the other reference to this of spirit of harlotry it says they do not direct their deeds toward turning to their god in other words they don't repent for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst and they do not know the lord now here's what i want you to understand is that when we look at this you know the the the, the scriptures speak to us about these demons that have to be have to do with idolatry and so in the New Testament, you can write this down, we won't go there together, but in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 to verse 20, the Apostle Paul is talking about not partaking of the cup of demons, and as he's going through all of this, he says, listen, I'm not saying that the idol is anything. He said, but the demons that you're sacrificing to, that is the problem. I don't want you to partake of demons. This is what he's communicating because they were in the midst just like us. They're in the midst of a culture where there's idolatry going on. And so people are like, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with those wooden things. And he's like, nope, there's nothing wrong with those. There's nothing wrong with those things, but there is a spirit that is in operation behind them. And it is this spirit that is leading the children of Israel astray. Notice he says, has caused. Say, has caused. Now, this does not justify the song lyric that says, the devil made me do it. Hello. This is not a Like, oh, Bishop, it said right there, it caused them. What it's saying is it deceived them. It led them astray. It put the bait before them, made it look tantalizing, made it look like this is what I want, made it look like this is the way that I want to go. And then they chose that route. It isn't like the devil grabbed them and said, come on, we're going to run this way. That isn't what it's saying. But these demons are real and they're true. And I want you to notice a few things because what God does is he, he, he compares Israel's spiritual condition to several things throughout this book. And if you look at chapter 6 and verse 4, you can look there real quick, chapter 6 and verse 4. It says this. It says, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the early dew, it goes away. Now that's like an oxymoron. Your faithfulness... It's like a morning cloud, and like, dude, faithfulness doesn't go away. Hello? Right? It's, 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 like, it's, it's almost like God is being sarcastic with them and saying, this is what your faithfulness is. He's saying, this is what it looks like. And so the first thing he compares them to is he compares them to a morning cloud. Here one minute, gone the next. Well, you're holy. You're going to run with Jesus. You're going to do You're going to run. The... And then all of a sudden, where you at? Ah, oh, you know, I just I wasn't feeling good. Something came up, couldn't make it. Second thing he, he compares them to, look at chapter 7, verse 8. 
It says, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned or half-baked. Huh. See, y'all, y'all laughed because y'all were thinking about some other kind of baking. Listen. <laughs> they were half-baked. They were a half-baked cake. What it meant was they were a cake that was one side was cooked. The other side was not. What, it, what, what this symbolized was that their devotion to God wasn't deep. It wasn't complete. It was partial. That's what he was saying there. In verse, in verse 9, he says this. He says, aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Look, he's saying he's blind to this. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. So the first thing is they, they, he's compared to a morning cloud. The second thing is he's compared to a half-baked cake. The third thing is compared to gray hairs. What is he talking about? He's saying that you're getting old and you're losing strength and you don't even realize it. I know, you know, us that are, and I, I'm, I'm going to put myself in this category because I am getting older. I'm not old. Hello. <laughs> but I am getting older. And what I realize is that, and this is, this is serious, I was, I was thinking about this, and I was like, man, this is crazy. Today, I'm stronger than I've ever been, but I'm also weaker than I've ever been. <laughs> and what I mean by this is, like, I can do things that I couldn't do when I was younger, but man, I am sore forever after I do them. Hello. And so it's like, yo, I, you know, when I was a kid, we could go and, I mean, there was just things that we did. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only one that is stronger than I've ever been, but weaker than I've ever been. That's just because we're getting older. Hello. My wife is always making fun of me. She's like, you going to call on the sponsors? You know, that's ibuprofen and, you know, all those things. I'm like, I'm not calling on the sponsors, man. We're going to work this thing out. But here's the point. The point is that... Israel, he was saying, this is how you guys are. You guys are like people that are getting older and losing strength because of your lack of devotion to God. But guess what? You don't even realize it. You're like, oh, I'm all good. I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. Everything is okay. So he's comparing them to this. This is their spirituality. And, And the next one is chapter 7, verse 11. He says, Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. And so what is he saying? He's saying they're a silly dove. They're unstable. They're they're, they're flighty. They go from one political ally to another. It's like us today. You know, one day you're a Republican. The next day you're a Democrat. Then you're an Independent. Hello, somebody. Let's just follow Jesus. How about that? That's an amazing thing to do. Follow him and trust him. Follow him and trust his word. Follow him and seek him. But this is what they were doing. They were doing the same thing. They were making their ally Egypt. Well, maybe Egypt can help us. I don't know. Maybe they got the answers. Oh, well, maybe, you know, Assyria can help us. Maybe they have the answers. Someone has the answer. Yeah, that someone is your God. Turn to him. And you'll get the answer. That's the reality. But they were like that. So they're like a morning cloud. They're like a half-baked cake. They're like gray hairs. They're like a silly dove. In chapter 7, verse 16, it says this. It says, they return, but not to the Most High. They're like a treacherous bow or like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the cursing of their tongue. This shall be for their derision in the land of Egypt. And so what he says is they're like a deceitful bow. What is that bow? That bow is something that they use, you know, for, um, you know, for them to be able to defend themselves. And if a bow is not correct, then you don't shoot arrows straight. You really don't have a good defense. And what he was saying is you're like that. You think you got it all together. You think you have this weapon, but you're, you're not able to defend yourself because your bow, your strength can't be depended on. So he's telling them all of these things and why is it? It is because they have allowed demonic influence into their lives. 
Because they have allowed the enemy to deceive them. Because they've allowed themselves to love other things rather than the truth. I'll give you one more scripture in the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 11, it talks here about people not loving the truth and God giving them strong delusion. Listen, this scripture brings much fear to my heart. Because what I realize is that people will be deceived because of their own rejection of the truth. What that scripture says is that they have been given strong delusion because they did not embrace the love of the truth. They did not love God's word. They did not love God's truth. And therefore, God allowed them to continue to be deceived and to continue to be following blind leaders and to continue never to be liberated. Why? Because he called and he called and he called and no one responded and he begged and he pleaded. And God does that not as a beggar that is beneath you, but as one who calls you to himself. And we continue to reject and continue to deny. And then what happens is that we end up in a place where he says, okay, that's what you want, you can have it. You want to make up your own truth, you can have it. You want to live your own truth, you can have it. And so the choice is ours. It's not, it's not God over there condemning us because we're so amazing. It is God saying you get what you deserve. You get what you want. You want false gods? I'll give you false gods. You want false revelation? I'll give you false revelation. You want preachers to tickle your ears? I'll give them to you too. So the question is, what do we do about our spiritual situation? Because when we deal with demons, there's something called spiritual warfare. And in your outline, you'll be talking about this in your connect group. So then the question is this, how do we engage in spiritual warfare? And I'm going to give you some real quick points here because the first thing that I want you to understand is that victorious spiritual warfare is rooted in repentance. Listen to what I'm saying. What worth is it for you to get up and rebuke demons and fast and pray to get stuff out of your life, but you're not turning from your sin? What, what's the point of that? That's that. that I can't even get, think of an example, but anyway, it's, it's something like you just, you know, go, going into your house and, 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 and sweeping. I'll, I'll use that as an example. And you, you go into your house, and you're sweeping from one room to the next, and you're just throwing dirt from one place to the other. What kind of, are you cleaning up? No, you can make it seem like you're cleaning up, but that's not cleaning up. And so we want to have victorious spiritual warfare. The first thing we got to do is repent of sin. Why? Because when we repent of sin, we get out of alignment with the plans of the enemy. We get out of alignment with the will of the enemy. The second thing, the first thing is that it is, it is, it is rooted in repentance. It is granted by obedience. James chapter 4 and verse 7. I love this verse. It is, to me, it, 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 is the, it, it is the most powerful verse in the area of spiritual warfare. It says this, submit to God, period. Resist the devil and he will flee. You know what our problem is? We quote the second half of the verse, we ignore the first. Can I tell you something? You will not have to do, you won't have to say anything to the enemy if you just submit to God. Are you hearing me? It's not saying you're not a rebuke. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you don't got to get into an argument. As a matter of fact, why don't you, why, why, why don't we look at our Bible? Let, let, let's see. We're not, we're not going to do this right now. I want you to just think in your mind. Let, let's look at our Bible in our minds and in our hearts. Let's, let's really think about this. When you see Jesus dealing with demons, Apart from the time that he has a conversation where he asks a demon his name, and even after that, did he have a long debate and like go back and forth with him about casting him out? I don't think Jesus did. Anytime that a demon, as a matter of fact, demons started talking to Jesus, Jesus was like, shut up, get out. 
That's as far as it went. There was no going back and forth. It wasn't like a big struggle like, oh, I rebuke you. No, it wasn't none of that. It was get out. It was go. Someone was sick. It was like, Yo, you know what? I'm going to lay hands on them. Not, I'm gonna, if, not, if I don't lay hands on them, then you know what? He goes, he makes some mud, puts it in his eyes, says, go wash. They went and washed. They could see. It was like that. That's the way that God works. When it comes to dealing with demonic forces and it comes to dealing with all of that stuff. And so while we spend hours and sometimes, you know, weeks engaging in what we call spiritual warfare, the Bible says, repent of your sin, submit to your God, and the devil flees. That's what the Bible says. It's not what I'm saying. This is what the scriptures say. And so we see it there. And then the other part of this whole thing is that it is guarded by our obedience to the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 7, toward the latter part of the verse, after Jesus, when Jesus is closing his sermon on the mount, he, he talks about those people who listen to his word. He says, I will liken unto them to be those who built their house upon the rock. He said, the rains came, the winds blew, and he said, and, and all of this stuff happened. And beat on this house vehemently. And this house did not fall. And it stood firm. And I'm like, when I'm looking at this verse, I'm like, well, that has nothing to do with demons. And I'm like, 100% has nothing to do with demons. But here's what I want you to understand. Is that when the rain is coming down, when the winds are blowing, when all hell is breaking loose, that's when the enemy's talking in your ear obey, to, to, to disobey your God. That's when the enemy is in your ear the most trying to get you to turn away from your obedience. And so you know what happens? When you are rooted on the word of God, when hell comes and the enemy is coming into your ear trying to deceive you and trying to get you to turn away, guess what you're doing? You're standing upon the rock of God's word. You are standing firm against those trials. And so this house doesn't fall because you don't give in to the temptation to give up on the truth of God's word. And so if we want to be victorious in spiritual warfare, then we must repent of our sin recognize where we have given a foothold to the enemy maybe it is in anger maybe it is in lust maybe it is in greed maybe it is in whatever it is that you're going through maybe it is that you won't forgive whatever it is where is it that you have given a foothold to the enemy maybe it is that you're so prideful and you're so arrogant and you judge everyone and no one is holy I don't know what it is but what is the area that you have given place to the enemy Repent of that sin. Turn from that sin. Turn away from that sin. And when you do that, you are automatically, this is the beauty of this, you are automatically submitting yourself to God. Because you're not just saying no to sin, you're saying yes to your Savior. You're not just saying, no, I'm not going to do this. We can't do it on our own strength. But I am submitting to my God, and he promises as I submit to him, as I humble myself to him, in that act of submission to him, I am literally resisting the enemy, and he has to go. And then what I do is I get my face in the word of God. I get the word of God in my heart so that way I can stand firm upon the truth. And no matter what comes against my life, no matter what comes against me, I refuse to curse my God. I refuse to disobey my God. I refuse to embrace a different way of teaching than the word of God. In closing, look at chapter 6 and verse 1 through 3. All of this judgment that God declares throughout these chapters. And in chapter 6, this is a beautiful picture of what God does in the midst of all of his judgment. It's like God can't get through declaring judgment without giving you an opportunity to get right. He can't do it because he is too much of a loving, merciful God. So look what he says. He says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. 
He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. This is what our God does. In the midst of his declaration of judgment, he calls you to repentance. He says, turn from your sin. He says, you don't have to. Listen, this is the part of the message that I hope that you feel the hope that God gives us. Because the reality is God doesn't want to leave you wallowing in hopelessness. He doesn't want to do that. He wants you to understand the seriousness of your hopelessness apart from him. He wants you to understand that apart from him, there is no hope. That apart from him, there is no hope in other idols. There is no hope in other gods. There is no hope in other nations. There is no hope in other political parties. There is no hope apart from him. There is hope in one, and that is the one who died for us, period. And this is the beauty of this call, is that whenever there is a call to repentance, there must be an offer of grace. Whenever God calls us to repentance, he is offering you the grace to turn from your sin. And so you know what? You're sitting here in this place, and I know that God has been speaking to some of you. I know that he's been calling some of you repentance. He's been calling some of you don't. You can't stay in this lifestyle that you've been living. It is time for you to turn with all of your heart to me. That's what he's saying. And so today's the opportunity. And so today I will open the altar today. Today I will call you. If you need to repent, if you don't know Jesus, then you can come forward and you can humble your heart before God. If you are not walking with him, you can humble yourself before him and you can say, God, I want to reconcile my life to you. In other words, I want to be right with you. I want to walk with you from this day forward. I want to be secure, not in a prayer that I prayed, not in the tears that I cried, but in the hope that there is in you. And maybe you're a Christian and you say, you know what, I know him and I'm walking with him. But there's just some areas that I know I could hear him speaking to me through the preaching. I could hear him speaking to me throughout the service that I need to repent. And if that's you, God calls you the same way. He calls us all to that repentance. So I ask you to stand up to your feet. I ask you to bow your heads, please. And I ask you to begin to pray. And the altar is open for anyone who wants to come forward. If you need prayer, the pastors are here to pray with us. And as we worship, the altar will remain open.